Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. I'm your host as always, Ryan Basor. Today is episode 48 and I'm excited to have on Jamie Lowell and I do believe Rick Thompson will be joining us shortly. A few technical difficulties um, and we're going to get into what's going on today with the uh, the MCMA and kind of the backstory and history. So Jamie, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. You got it. Yeah, we'll get you live in person this time. And uh, Tom, um, thanks for joining us, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on everything as well, and what's happening up there in Kalkaska. I hear it's hot. It's hot. Yeah. It's hot yeah. up here in Kalkaska, yeah. Nice. Just trying nice. to stay cool, baby. Okay. Well, um, you know, the, our, our, the Smoke and Rope podcast audience is a lot of people in the industry and a lot of, a lot of cool ancillary businesses that are professionals and have... Uh, really uh been listening and are you know members of MICIA so uh, I've been getting a lot of questions and asked what's going on what's going on and I figured it was time we talked about it so this is something that uh, I've been aware of for a long time and it really back when uh, I got involved in 09 and, and 2010 it was just like what what do we want eventually we're going to get legalization and what does that look like and we always were like Jamie was there uh, Rick was there and it was just like what do, what do we want it to look like and we want it to look like everyone involved easy access you know great cannabis great competition and doing it for the love so we've had to do a lot of battles along the way so in reality things have been going on with uh, with at least Steve Linder since 2010 uh, and then 12 and 14 16 it gets really crazy some people have forgotten about that and then, of course, uh, even in 2018. So um, a lot of people ask me when I started my brand, like why I was so vehement about not being any of those stores. Uh, and I said I never would or I'd quit. And it's the whole idea of it. Like I'd go out of business like it's, it's not worth it. So I've been glad to see this kind of coming in, into light now. And um, I kind of wanted just to, to go over it, a little bit of the backstory and why so many of us are so fired up and kind of how we got here today. And real quick, before I have Jamie start talking about the beginning 2010, um, I had a couple people I really respect message me and, and ask me if uh, uh, Gage was involved in this. And I wanted to give you a little backstory on that. So in 2019, before I got my grant, I, I talked with, with um, the owners and I said, hey, you know, like this is something I can't do if you're involved with. They said, Ryan, we're not. We promise you we're not. And most of them were caregivers from the Detroit area. And... Uh, and then uh, when they initially announced the press release, Gage's name was in it for a second. And I called and, and he just like, I told you we were not. Our lawyers have already contacted them. And that was it. And they've removed it. And then um, fast forward, I've been involved. Uh, I've gotten to know a really, really great lobbyist that was really involved in the Criminal Justice Clean Slate Act. We became buddies. He does a lot of work for me, uh, pro bono for criminal justice reform for the foundation. And I know that's Gage's and one other person's lobbyist as well. So I am very confident in that. I wanted to get that clear. It's important to me and the people that asked me about it. So with that, 
Jamie, take it away. Talk about a little 2010. or probably start off with our buddy Dennis Shornack. Not, not on, uh, he was not supposed to be the speaker, and he's one of us, so it didn't go that way. And then, and then, you know how 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 it evolved from there. Uh, we can we can stop you when we need to. Yeah, and, and interject. I mean, there's so much to this history that we're going to focus on. You know, uh, I, I could probably use a little uh, shaping of that. Um, and as you are alluding to, what's going on now is just the most incarnation of an issue that we've dealt with in many different ways for a long time. What's interesting is uh, uh, around 2010, um, started hearing about maybe some uh, some people that have a lot of uh, uh, credibility and um, influence uh, wanting to take a look at what, what this law means and what's going on. And um, there was a, a high-powered uh, uh, you know, staffer and, and uh, an expert in political processes named Dennis Shornack, who was asked to come in and, and uh, give a presentation. It was near. Was actually what Richard McClellan was supposed to, and Dennis had a substitute, and Dennis went off script. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, and I and I don't know how much different it would have been from from Richard, but he might have been like there representing yeah. a certain idea, not necessarily, you know, you know what his plan was, but he was a part of this. And point being that we had this concern, and um, he shows up and talks about how this could actually be an opportunity for a lot of people, and how this could be a great thing, and and some ideas for taking this law and utilizing it. Um, to make it more functional and and to you know create some business and and that never without never with taking away individual rights or anything like that and um, it just made a lot of sense and and uh, uh, we got to know Dennis and and uh, and company thereafter and heard about their plan and and uh, you know really got some good direction especially as far as like the the processes in Lansing yeah. but that didn't mean that the concept yeah. of big business interests wanting to create advantages for themselves, you know, went away. And that, that one instance right. was good for us. Uh, and, and the point being is, you know, yeah. Steve Linder was highly involved back in, in that era as a as a major political donor for all those guys. So I don't want to dwell on that. Fast forward to 2012, um, you know, uh, uh, with, with uh, what we were trying to accomplish with Mac. So, you know, it became obvious that uh, without some more definition in the existing laws that we're going to have to work on that with the legislature and um, uh, and have a voice. And so the, the first industry association was formed, Michigan Association of Compassion Centers. A lot of these places were called compassion centers um, instead of dispensary or provision center or, or, or whatever, because a lot of them were born out of informal groups of people gathering together to exchange ideas and cannabis at times and things like that. And, and, and these places began with a very simple concept to be a, a central location uh, where this activity can take place. And, uh, you know, without, with utilizing the existing system, you know, without uh, impinging all these new things on it. But when the process got started, all of the people who have, who could have a potential stake, you know, of course became uh, a part of the process and, and we engaged and, and we started seeing that there were, there were forces out there formally saying, hey, you know, it's evil and we shouldn't do this. And, you know, we have to keep throwing people in prison for it. Uh, start seeing some dollar signs in their eyes. And and ironically, the way it even got moving in the first place were for some of these forces, like believing that uh, they could see this through to a point of advantaging themselves. Uh, so that, that whole process got started. That contingency in Lansing uh, became real. Yep. Uh, and, and, and as the threats of these other groups being proactive and trying to create policy 
were developing, um, we all gathered a few times and made it, and it made it obvious to many of us that we have to uh, be proactive in our own right and, and combat this. And the, you know, the the a real new version of the. And there was a in 2012 there was a, an attempt at legalization. Um, it was pretty cool. It, it, it uh, got a lot of signatures for not being organized and not being funded at all. Um, and it uh, got some of the word out of, of the benefits and why we need to move forward in that regard. But it wasn't successful. But uh, a more concerted effort in response to this, you know, started happening a little bit later on. And uh, we really started engaging in these forces. So, Jamie, I really just want to get into like what, you know, uh, like as far as the Republicans involved in 12 and 14, we're talking about MCMA and Steve Linder. And I want to get up to 15 and 16 right away. So, just as far as like how we dealt with with um, again with that you know against that in, in twelve and, and we started realizing that you know these these legislatures were coming in and trying to do this and trying to change our law and that was certain senators that were connected whether it be Colton putting it out there that's what we're getting at we've been battling these guys you know for a long long time so I'm just gonna fast forward yeah. to 2015 because that was when, um, you know, MI Legalized was going hard. I got out of prison and uh, um, I was helping as much as I can and doing what I was doing. And there was then all of a sudden the MCC and the MRC. And the MRC was was done by Susie Mitchell, Paul Wenley, and Steve Linder was the lobbyist. And there's people like the Bell Tire, which is now Loom, I believe, was members. And a lot mm-hmm. of these guys that are now the MCMA formed um, the the MRC that wanted ten big grows, so you know that's what happened next with that, and then we get we kept going. Um, tell us a little bit about that. You were the board, a board member for my legalized, and we were there for that. Yeah. So um, as I said, it became obvious that these other interests, maybe formally in opposition, were were now going to uh, to, to jump in on the bandwagon and try to create the conditions to benefit themselves and. Uh, one of the forms it took, and, and this started in, in 20, I don't want to go too far back, but, you know, this started in 2009. By definition, uh, there was a, a bill introduced to get rid of the caregiver system in lieu of 10 large organizations that would handle distribution. And uh, this, this plan um, took place in other places around the country, but continued here in Michigan. And we and, and a group was formed, uh, and that was the, uh, was it the responsibility, Michigan Responsibility Council? Mm-hmm. And, MRC. And, and uh, that represented that type of an approach, the oligopoly kind of a model. Another one came involved, the MCC, Michigan Cannabis Coalition, I believe, something mm-hmm. similar to that. And that was a little bit more broad and liberal, but still not even close to being good enough as far as the individual rights aspects were concerned. And uh, we were there with the most, you know, well-rounded, broad and liberal representative language of, you know, combining all these all these things with a, with a particular balance. Uh, we were all unsuccessful. Uh, and then uh, uh, along with a coalition, including some national interest, MVP and so forth, yep. uh, got together and, and started the 2018 campaign. Yep. So, hey, Rick. Thank you, Jamie. Rick, Rick's uh, got a little technical difficulties. Glad you made it on. We just kind of went back a little bit uh, in history and uh, we're, we're at, you know, the MI Legalize and the MRC. And that's when we really, really kind of got to know. Uh, Linder and then and, uh, and some of the eventual players that were trying to do the 10 big rows. So that's when I became really aware of that situation. So um, from there, Rick, what uh, that's where we're at. Like, uh, do you want kind of want to take it from there? The MCMA forms and what, what kind of goes down. And, and I'd love to jump in 
um, to talk about uh, my experience back then in 16 on, on what was going on. People forget about the obstructionist way the board worked and how that went down. Well, it's very important for us to know. By the way, you can hear me, right? Yes. Okay, great. It's very important for people to know that things that happened in Michigan weren't always uh, unique to Michigan. For example, Responsible Ohio was a movement in uh, the state of Ohio to create a situation with 10 large cultivation centers that would control cannabis for the entire state. And that was the original intent by the MRC, which eventually transformed, it seems, into the MCMA. <clears throat> Controlling the cannabis industry has always been their goal, whether they accomplish it through the ballot box or through the legislature. In addition to, you know, our 2018 legalization program, uh, a group of people actually collected signatures to put up an opposite legalization proposal, which would have been radically different from the one we received. And that group, not surprisingly, had Steve Linder as one of their heads. Yeah. So when we talk about the long-term catastrophic effect of a single individual on the cannabis industry in Michigan, we're really looking at somebody who's been obstructionist year after year after year and now cloaks himself in the garb of a, of a cannabis advocate and expects people to listen to him and take his word as if he's really trying to protect people. It's really not going to happen. Yeah, and you know, like, and that takes us right to 2016, which is what a lot of people, you know, I think that especially went through the licensing process, probably have uh, taken out of their memory, don't like it. But we all remember the uh, yeah with Tom over there. We watched it all. We used to get together down the street with the guys from Kind and and watch all this stuff. But um, the board was formed. It was picked. You know, Snyder was there. Meekoff got to pick. We have Johnson. We have Bailey, and that's when it all came together because. Johnson was with Dodak, Dodak Johnson, and that was a lobbying firm involved. And then there was Brian Pierce, Manny Lentine, Steve Linder, uh, Arlen Meekoff, and they were going around trying to get people to join their group and pay them to lobby. And if you did that, then you'd get to the front of the line, and we're gonna and 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 get approved, and then you, and we're gonna hold everybody off. You guys remember who had all the first flower and was hitting and charging four or five grand. That was all played out. That was because the Republican legislature did that to us and they helped set it up. So that was, that was, that was rough. So, I mean, someone else want to jump in on that. I, I, I mean, people forget about that. I'm surprised, honestly, maybe there were never any charges filed on that, you know, shit for what I it went was, to prison for. My, it my was God. so obvious. It was so obvious what was happening. I watched every single board meeting and one, I still have PTSD uh, to the extreme from the whole process. And the, the ringer that we were put through in order just to get to the table uh, as a former, or actually at that time, a current caregiver, um, they did not want any caregivers, period, getting licenses. Nobody with any kind of cannabis experience how ridiculous is that? We don't want any chemists working in our pharmaceutical industry because we think that, you know, my buddy over here uh, can do a real good job because uh, he's got, you know, millions of dollars and he's going to give me a little bit of it or whatever is happening behind the scenes. I mean, it's not surprising that this shit went on. Sorry that this stuff was happening, uh, but it was extremely frustrating and extremely difficult for a caregiver to get through the gate. And we were one of the first and it, it, it still has a lasting impact on my life personally. 
Now that board was a creation of the MMFLA, which was, I'm sure you've mentioned, was a creation of the legislature. And that's where really those people who have heavy influence in the legislature were able to shine like a lender. And uh, the particular people were put on that board specifically to act against caregivers, to keep caregivers out of this industry because they were considered the dirty members of Michigan's current cannabis community. Um, you know, we, yeah. we really struggled to get people licensed under that situation. Yeah, and I so, had so many people come in and tell me the big guys are coming in. You guys are, you know, chumps. You're gonna take over all this over that, and 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 just heard it over and over again. And when you know, 2016 legalization didn't happen, and you know those guys started getting licensed. We started catching wind, but then um, just what happened in uh, you know Prop One, am I you know am I legalized? Prop One got on the ballot, and watching. Like it was Bell Tire, who's now Loom, going around and uh, working with Steve Linder and uh, what's make Scott Greenlee to try to to try to do a, an anti-campaign because the law was going to be too not restrictive enough. Those guys all and and there he comes up again with the same crew. So um, people forget about that. Sorry, Jamie, you're gonna say something. Yeah, I just wanted to add on to that to that original panel. It also included a member from the Board of Pharmacy who was in complete contradiction helping to get licenses out for cannabis businesses even though the controlled substances list in which they have significant input over still has cannabis on it as a, as a schedule one and illogically concurrently as a schedule two so just to add to the ridiculousness of that uh, that board that situation even after we won in 2018 we, we collected 325,000 signatures put it on the ballot fought the courts to get it on the ballot and we were successful immediately after to november 6 2018 as soon as it passed they began to figure out how they could undo the legalization proposal we'd created and what they decided to do was to encourage the legislature to gut the program in that time period between the end of the voting cycle and the end of that actual legislative year it's called the lame duck uh, a period but that's where a lot of really bad things happen and that movement was led by steve linder and and ryan you know that we just yeah. barely escaped that bill being well, introduced didn't we? yeah that's what i talk about you know i'm i've been watching a lot of a lot of history and this is just you know kind of our battle and that's why i say the enemies were at the gates that's the closest they got and a lot of people don't understand this or what, what kind of what went down and who's actually been protecting the caregivers to be honest with you and 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 doing it it's like i we're all caregivers here we've been around it a lot of the people that came up to have stores I, i'm in their stores they were caregivers and they believe in this um not all of them some were talking the game and then they're carrying you know the flourish and other things like that but um you know it almost happened and what what stopped it was um, the people that helped legalize, um, Robin Schneider, uh, along with that, and Kevin McKinney helped us a ton, and we were able to get block it by by having the Speaker of the House, Tom Leonard, do what's right. Um, and you know, I, I got a lot of respect for Tom Leonard over that that incident. He did do what's right. Um, I didn't <clears> vote <throat> for him in the AG race, but uh, I voted for Dana. But no, that was that was big. So all that was coming along, and in my mind at that point, I was. Uh, um, coming off a bad situation uh, with some licensed uh, stuff I was involved with and I was like we gotta have something we gotta build an organization because these guys are not gonna stop coming after us and that's when Robin had been talking to me for a while about joining starting an MICIA 
and we put it together and then when you know we ran out the, the stores ran out of flour based on in january of 2019 and a lot of that was based on the work from linder and crew and mcma and the obstructionists and, and recoff and all them um we formed and uh you know some of you guys were there we we're at the capitol and and said turn on the turn on the caregivers turn it back on the caregivers got back in that's when it happened so um you know that all that headache and bottleneck early on that was all planned it's been planned for many many years and uh you know right now that's why we take it so serious and uh and are serious about it that board when they originally formed i mean the first few words out of their face after they convened were okay we're 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 taking the authority now to shut down all other activity that's going on if if you remember that turns out they didn't have that authority but that was the attitude and the attack right from the oh yeah Yep. And of course, the, the big guy up front, uh, Jones, that Ryan mentioned previously, longtime Republican supporter, former Speaker of the House. Johnson. Uh, Johnson. Very, very, yep, Rick Johnson, very involved in that particular party. So uh, he and Linder had a long term relationship before that even happened. There was also a, an interesting article uh, by Craig Mauger from the Detroit News, which outlined a special PAC, a political action committee that had been formed by Linder specifically to create a fund that that seems to have been just given to I think it's Meekoff, isn't it right Ryan? Yeah, half a million dollars to Meekoff. No questions asked. Yep. Not so now that Meekoff is no longer no longer in his position of lawmaking, now he's the recipient of this big payoff from That's what they do on the way out. That's how it works in Lansing. And it makes you wonder who's currently in line for one of those big payouts from the Steve Linder generosity fund. Uh, who is it currently that he's trying to seduce with the promise of money? And and is it a real promise? And will he be able to deliver? And what is it he's asking for in return? So, so spring of sp- spring of uh, 19, that's when, uh, you know, the attacks really started. Uh, you guys want to relive that with, uh, you know, Jeff Rad- Radway and Green Peak on the steps, billboards all over town in Lansing, you know, <clears throat> dangerous caregiver medicine. And then... Oh. I heard plenty of things about money, you know, and meetings taking place and people snitching on on legacy people, maybe still operating around me uh, and, and, and who it was and and money being funneled to, you know, back to, you know, police organizations if they're willing to go after uh, caregivers and, and the black market. You know, that was pretty real. And um, I, let's just say that's what I heard. Uh, but, yeah, that's that was the next step. Well, I think you were there, Rick. I don't know. I was there. Well, yeah, we were there for sure. The fact is you've got, uh, as Ryan described, there was a time when it was not Caregiver Cannabis involved in the distribution network that they'd established from the MMFLA, and then Caregiver Cannabis was. But people like Green Peak, who had invested in cultivation centers, they didn't like the competition. So they started a, a smear campaign. As Ryan mentioned, it involved social media, uh, billboards on the side of the road, and it culminated in a meeting, uh, a kind of a rally at the Michigan State Capitol building, which had, I think, like 40 or 50 people all dressed in Green Peak t-shirts standing around going, yeah, Jeff Radway's good. <laughs> but it was, it had no support whatsoever from any of the actual consumers that knew caregiver cannabis as to be the lifesaver that, it, that we all know it to be. So when that happened, uh, Radway took a big black eye in the in the eye of the cannabis community. But he didn't stop. He kept pushing to remove caregiver cannabis over and over beginning. and over. 
just yeah. beginning of an exposure of a profound ignorance. I mean, they. So at this time, we're talking about all medical. The only people that can purchase from the stores are caregivers and patients, and they had a campaign against a big segment of the only group of people that can purchase from their stores. Yeah, that was in uh, the early days when these blue, these big PR firms were getting hired for a lot of money. You see, and just not no understanding a thing about Michigan cannabis. So, well, and that's well, one of the things you'll see repeated as a theme over and over in this story is people just don't understand Michigan's cannabis culture. If you did, you'd never attack patients or caregivers. If you did, you'd work with the people, not try and just get what you want through the legislature. If you did, you would have worked with us to help us get positive cannabis laws installed as opposed to having your own campaign to try and undo all the work that we've done. So there are some people in this scenario that over years of bad actions have created such a stain on their reputation that our community will never forget and never forgive. Mr. Radway, I think we can put him on that list, but Steve Linder, he's pretty close to the top, right. I think I'd say. So there was no accident when they formed this, you know, they, it was all the people from the REIT, the uh, you know, industrial property uh, maintenance, whatever it is out in San Diego, that's the that's the real estate lease. And, you know, they got the, Rick did a great article on that. Um, Start off, I think, at a 12% lease back rate and goes up to like 20 something. And um, they have to keep caregivers out. They need to have no black market and they, they don't want Safe Banking Act and they don't want legalization for their model to work. So one thing we've kind of figured out lately is the amount of pressure they're on because they're, they're, most of these guys, the, the only exit is to be bought. And that's, and that's not what a lot of people like, uh, you know, Tom Beller had sitting here and the people I'm involved in, they're actually running real businesses to run a business forever if we can. So it's a big difference in business models not a lot of people are talking about and the type of pressure that that business model puts on. on. You know, like you go into a place like, like Tom and Drew's first off, any, any old school grower, their office is the size of a closet and it's all grow space. And you go into the big, the big, those guys, their office looks like it's, in, you know, out in Silicon Valley. And, you know, it's so it's just such a different business model, hands on. And um, with that, guys, I know, like, as far as we started hearing about this bill a year ago, wanting to combine it and, and what was going on. And it got kind of derailed. We thought something might happen last fall. Um, I unfortunately, uh, in a couple of minutes here, have got to go and Tom's going to take over, but um, I, I'm glad I had a chance to talk about all this. You guys know I've, I've this stuff's been just pissing me off for a long, long time and, uh, you know, I guess everyone's starting to hear about it now and um, that's part of, uh, you know, Michigan, Michigan history and that's one of the reasons we started these podcasts because if we didn't, how would anybody know? So thank you, and uh, if you guys want to take it from there, I appreciate it. Thank you, well, let's Ryan. talk a little bit about these these sale thank leaseback you, agreements. Yep, thanks, Ryan. Talk a little bit about these sale leaseback agreements that Ryan just mentioned. Uh, if you're a company, you have a building, you have a bunch of fixtures, you have product, you have a sales force, all of that stuff belongs to you. But in a sale leaseback situation, a company uh, starts all of those things, and then they sell their building, sell the fixtures to someone else, who then gives them an initial source of money, but then leases the building back to the company. So now the company doesn't have any real assets. They don't have any real tangible things they can borrow against for new loans. And they're stuck now with this horrible uh, uh, landlord situation with someone who really owns everything. And the important thing is, is that not only is that a bad deal, but they have terms which allow the landlord to increase 
the amount that's paid at least a 1% annual increase every single year for a 30-year mortgage, for a 30-year lease situation. Now, it doesn't take a whole lot of math to realize that after a couple of years, that's an interest rate that's untenable. And it creates a, a situation where those big guys can't compete against everybody else in the market that didn't take that huge loan to begin with. And there's something to be said for taking a big loan and getting first to market. Oftentimes that gives you an advantage, but in this circumstance, it was poorly done and the people that did it didn't do a very good job of establishing a positive reputation. So now they're set with a set of financial circumstances that makes profitability almost impossible, a reputation in the industry which makes selling their company almost impossible, and no real exit strategy that leaves them with a positive goal. So what do they try to do? They slash and burn everybody around them in the hopes that they can improve their profit margin by diminishing the competition as much as they possibly can. So they go after micro businesses, they go after caregivers, they go after the illegal market, they complain about the MRA, they complain about municipalities. They find fault with everyone except themselves. And that's really one of the, the hallmarks of this whole thing, I think. <clears throat> has well, been people that don't know making bad decisions and then expecting us to suffer the consequence. Yeah, well, it's America, man. That's you know, corporate America. That's what they want to do, right? There's all this talk about domination. We're going to dominate the market. All these people want to come in. And it's like, what is this mentality of like, you want to own this whole market? You don't understand the market then. You don't um, understand how big this pie is under- and what goes on, man. You know, right on. Right. And it's an ever growing pie and you know i'd like to get back a little bit to um talk about caregivers because that's you know deep in my roots for a very long time and uh all the attacks so the obviously we this has made national news your boycott has made national news now uh, our boycott really but you guys really were spearheading a lot of the just the awareness of what's happening and we owe you great debt for that but um Caregivers are extremely important for a thriving cannabis, uh, not just a market really, but just culture. And for as a licensed facility, we need caregivers to be pushing us to show people how cannabis can be, how good it can be, what's it supposed to look like, smell like. And if they don't have these people reminding them, hey, don't buy that, that looks like crap. Look at this good cannabis over here that we're making. If we don't have people pushing those standards up, we're going to be stuck with a bunch of corporate boof, really, is what it is. And also increasing the gene pool uh, for genetics. Uh, I mean, we all know what inbreeding does to to, <laughs> to living organisms. And we, we need caregivers. And it's extremely important. As, as a licensed facility, we actually look at it as an opportunity to be caregivers for way more people. Like we can caregive for more than five people. We, thousands. And it's a great opportunity. And it's, it, we are stewards of the plant, no matter how big you are. And uh, you know I think that we're really losing focus on, on that type of attitude where you know cannabis is for the people. It always has been. It only recently is now open to, uh, you know, on a, even a recreational regulated market. Uh, I just, it doesn't hold up. The, this whole corporate takeover thing, it's a, it's a losing battle. And you can see like boycotts work, right? I want to point out 
that you're right. Rick and I have talked about this on uh, many shows. Medical Monday days, those guys have been instrumental in this entire thing. They've got a couple of great guests on the show, Randy Buckman, uh, Rez Khan. Randy was the former president of NCMA and, and head of Pleasantries, and uh, Rez Khan, the head of uh, a president of DNA Genetics, which is one of the licensees kind of caught up in this mess, you know, that they kind of got surprised by a little bit, but trying to deal with it as well as they can. And they put out some memes and, uh, you know, they got passed around and stuff like that. And, and it's been effective. That's what this is so far. I, I want to point out that if this gains more traction, if this gets stuff, a real camp, a real campaign to boycott could be put together and, and will be in response. Uh, and, and we have to protect this stuff. And the only people who should like this, as you kind of pointed out, uh, are them. They're the only ones that could, they're, they're wrong, I think, about their estimates of how it really benefits them. First of all, right. their image is, is destroyed by it as we keep on talking about them and they're exposing their ignorance on, on shows like this. People don't necessarily want to do business you know, with people like that. And then they're just wrong about how cannabis works. As you pointed out, the culture, the nature of the plant, you know, and that type of thing. So they're not making the right decision. And right. Uh, the, the whole thing is just a, it, it is a mess. You can't stop people from growing cannabis. You know, they tried for a hundred years. It didn't work, right? So, I mean, it doesn't matter what somebody says, it's going to go down. It doesn't matter what the current law is, it's going to go down. You're not changing, you're not going to entice people into your store by being the big, you know, greedy asshole (laughs) in the story. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Yeah, maybe three people. Yeah, Yeah, a few people might like that. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think it's important to note, too, that we're talking about legislation that was going to be proposed in 2021 the boycott and all this negative attention may have delayed that but in michigan we have a two-year legislative cycle that means that a bill could still be introduced in 2022 and get passed in that year it seems like people with a long-term focus like the mcma has would properly sit this on the shelf for a while knowing that it's toxic right now and then after the holiday season after the winter is done spring of 2022 bring this back up on us again it's like them to do that, especially if they think they can do it that way and take uh, as as less be- less of a beating than, than we are giving them right now. That's why it's important for us to never lose focus on protecting the caregiver system, no matter what the threat happens to be. And also that we have to monitor those people that we know to be bad actors in the community and use all of our tools to determine when they're starting their, their stuff up again and to make sure that we defeat it before it gets rolling. Once a bill is introduced in the legislature, amending it is infinitely more difficult. If a bill is still just being talked about, then a legislative sponsor has lots of ability to make changes to it before it's introduced. That's really where our best effort to defeat this is, by taking away legislative sponsors and by making it so unpopular that no one would want to even put their name on something like this. And, and we should be more motivated too, because replacing Randy Buckman is a very capable, probably brilliant person named Shelley Edgerton. Who's very uh, connected and knowledgeable and um, creates a, a larger threat than used to exist. Now Buckman opinion. was Buckman was the president of the MCMA. She's being brought in as a board chair. I'm assuming that that's probably because the president has to be an actual business license holder itself based on MCMA rules. But as Jamie mentioned, in, in board chairman or president, no matter what title you give her, Shelly is a, a, a knowledgeable person with a great ability to communicate. Uh, she will not be making the same stupid mistakes that Steve Linder made. And his mistakes were made because he had too much ego. 
She doesn't suffer that problem. She's a realist, and she's very good at what she does. And and she I also want to point out, sorry. yeah, I also ahead, want to sorry. point out that their representatives are in meetings as of a couple days ago, well after this boycott, saying we want to get rid of the caregiver system and funnel all the all the activity into the commercial system. And 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 I also want to point out, and, and it's kind of obvious, that if successful with hurting the caregiver system and hurting, they're also trying to hurt small businesses. If successful, they're not going to stop there. That's that's you know an incremental step. We have to cut this off now, and this is very important. And I think engaging in conversations with your representative or senator over the summer, and they oftentimes do local coffee houses and meet and stuff like that. It's a good time to show up and say, hey, don't feed into that. Don't feed into that stuff. We need to protect this. Yeah, I believe this move with uh, Shelley um, Edgerton is kind of a signal to the greater cannabis um business community that this isn't going anywhere and uh, that the ante has been upped in a way. Uh, I hope that I'm, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that no, they're, they're doubling down, man. Scrooge McDuck this grows a conscious conscience overnight and we all wake up and everything's hunky dory, but this isn't going away. You're right. Not when perceived money is at stake. <laughs> And I said perceived because they're wrong about this issue. <laughs> well, let's talk about money, too. You know, they lost Randy Buckman from Pleasantries, who was their president. That's one of 13 uh, known members uh, uh, of the, the organization. That's a loss in revenue. They had to hire Shelley to come in and do this board chairman thing and be the spokesperson for the, for the organization. That's an expenditure of money. They're not going in the right direction with the budget for the MCMA. They're going in the wrong direction. And those people don't like that. They don't like to spend money on something that they can't see results from. So this summer break in the legislature every year takes a break for like a month and a half during the summer. I expect there to be a lot of activity during the summer break as people from the MCMA try and, and run around and get support. They're from legislators in, in casual environments where they can have a coffee or a beer and they can nudge them with their elbow and say, man, you know, we got to get rid of these guys, right? That's likely to happen. We have to remain vigilant. We should be building relationships right along with them. And there's lots of groups and organizations working on this, sometimes in coalition, sometimes individually. And we do encourage that and, uh, and do our own side of this because uh, if we're not having a presence there, it's going to be real easy for the dominoes to fall in the fall. Well, it's caregivers also uh, need to take note and instead of create an us and them type situation with all licensed businesses, which I've been seeing out in social media and uh, to a, it breaks my heart a little bit. Um, I also want to add that just not every caregiver grows incredible cannabis, by the way, just because you have a couple plants and you can you have successfully brought them through uh, doesn't make you an expert. But there's also people that grow incredible cannabis. It's the same type segment in the licensed uh, uh, licensed industry. But uh, anyway, caregivers need to be because they're the ones that are really going to miss out if anything changes. And at the moment, they need to get we all need to band together in order to make sure that this type of thing doesn't advance any further. And we draw a line in the sand saying, hey. We, we can, everyone can grow cannabis, right? I mean, it's summertime. I imagine most people that want to are. So, I mean, what what is the fight at this point? It's domination, which is a completely unattainable goal and it's extremely greedy and terrible. So, I mean, what are we really fighting for? So- It's hurting um, their image, I, I would say, demonstrably. Well, oh, for and sure. DNA Genetics dude, who's a, a ResCon, very nice, aware guy, had a great interview on Medical Mondays. 
people should check it out. It is on our side, at least what he said. Uh, sure. That thing. Although he's not going to break his contract with SkyMint, he said that he will come in and bring resources to help out our position on this. So if we will see him through, and that's another issue for MCMA, if their own associates are working against them. Right. Yeah. So bizarre. Well, what we see in other states, too, is that people are adjusting their cannabis laws all the time, but they're making them more consumer friendly and less, you know, less attacking of the consumer. So we see things like uh, Ohio, where they've loosened some of the testing results. Uh, they've, they've loosened some of their licensing restrictions. We see Illinois, where they're trying to really actually do something good with social equity and, and expand the way that they help people. All across America, we see examples of, of state governments trying to expand services available for cannabis consumers. But in Michigan, it's the only one I know of where they're really trying to step back in this way. One thing I think is lost in the mix here too, you know who, who caregivers and patients service? They service kids. There's about 300 pediatric patients in the state of Michigan. Those pediatric patients have no allowance under the adult use law. Now that's fine, because when we drafted the adult use law, we had the medical and we didn't need to take care of them. But if you eliminate the privileges of caregivers which are their parents, caregivers, and, and you eliminate the medical centers where they can actually purchase cannabis, you're going to see the kids get hurt. And I know that the other side always likes to talk about the kids and use that as a as a bellwether for, for mm -hmm. their justification for changing things. But in this instance, the kids are a reason to keep everything exactly the same. Those 300 pediatric patients are doing just fine the way that they're being taken care of right now. There's absolutely no guarantee they'll be doing just fine after the MCMA wrecks havoc upon the law. Well, haven't we seen a decrease in care and, and um, re like registered caregivers in the state of Michigan since uh, the adult use law came into play? I mean, really, how big is this threat, honestly? Ooh. You're absolutely right. We were at a high point of about 45,000 caregivers at one point. A recent media uh, article noted that caregivers are about 30,000 right now, servicing about 72,000 patients in the state of Michigan. Now, it dropped by a third. Yeah, dropped by a third. And, you know, that was to be expected. Uh, there are some people that grew uh, that recognize that the privileges they have under the adult use law may be greater than the privileges they had as an individual patient or caregiving just for their for their uh, a loved one. Certainly the amount that you're allowed to possess is more generous under the adult use law than it is under the medical program. So we see all kinds of changes like this, but what we didn't see is we didn't see a reduction in the number of pediatric patients. We've seen that essentially stay the same. And that's because the only way they can get protection is through the medical laws. And you know, in all of this, there are a lot of very sick people that depend upon a caregiver to help them. And what is being proposed is a 75% reduction in a patient's ability to grow plants and an 80% reduction in a caregiver's ability to grow plants. You cannot reduce the medicine that a sick person needs by 80% and think that it won't have an effect on their health. It's, it's intellectually dishonest. And you know, and so what if there is some activity outside of the commercial world or something like that, that they can point to? There, the, the idea that we would hurt those people that, that, that Rick just described is not worth any of that. To even go down that road and think that that's a good idea is another Absolutely. exposure of, of this this issue well a big a big argument you hear from the other side on this is testing testing we want everything tested well you know what maybe in a perfect world where testing was affordable i can i get the testing bill every week <laughs> and i would love an affordable test also we all would 
and but we're lacking safety compliance facilities. We we don't have enough to necessarily handle the licensed uh, facilities, let alone if we had all the caregivers bringing everything they possibly grew. And even if you had an affordable test at that point, you don't have the capacity to test it. So it's the cart before the horse. The argue the, the conversation with testing where we're all oh there's all this unsafe uh, test uh, you know um, caregiver cannabis on the market. Uh, well, I'd like to say that if you don't irradiate or um, <laughs> or use some kind of um, ionization or some kind of remediation method as a commercial grower, uh, there's a lot of contaminated um, regulated cannabis that goes out to market as remediated product. But that aside, let's focus on the things that are going to take care of the um, the roadblocks. Remove the roadblocks instead of just you know removing the road. You know, right two of the things that they propose from the MCMA is to make all caregivers test cannabis as well as to make caregivers uh, record their cultivation and their sales through the, uh, the metric system, which is used by the commercial system here in Michigan. With 30,000 caregivers, there are only 15 testing labs in the entire state, and they're so poorly distributed as to, as to really create areas of advantage and disadvantage. You really couldn't ask caregivers to test their cannabis in the state of Michigan right now. It would swamp the testing labs, and the currently licensed regulated centers would never be able to get a test accomplished and keep product on the shelf. Secondly, if you ask the caregivers to track all of their, their cultivation situations through the metric system, first of all, you'd have to triple the staff down at the Marijuana Regulatory Agency because you'd have 30,000 people calling you asking questions about how do I handle metric? How do I handle these radio frequency identification tags? But then the, the system itself would be so overloaded. You're talking about, you know, maybe 500 cultivators right now in the state of Michigan in the regulated market. And now you want to add 30,000 additional people putting input into the metric system. Not only would that swamp the state system, well, it would swamp metric nationally. Well, they, well, uh, I mean, perfect example today. Metric uh, was down for a few hours. Uh, it was restored at 1.30 today. And that's just with the current uh, licensed, you know, uh, Current businesses accessing right it grows processors you know everyone transporters retailers but at this time it's already maxed out the, the the system goes down all the time so it's not a perfect system we can't pretend that we don't have things that we need to work on before we start adding uh, you know like I said more roadblocks for people well, even if it even if it could handle it there's no reason for it so a consumer walking into a store a patient or anybody not knowing the origin of anything or being that intimately uh, connected to it does need to have some kind of standard in place to know that there's not gonna be a contaminant or something sure. like that in there uh, somebody selecting a caregiver um, can do so um, with the knowledge of how that person is growing, what that person is growing, working with that person and what works best for them and having a yeah. complete understanding of all products and conditions. And if uh, and, and of course, testing should be available if they, if they want to add that to the mix of determining what's going sure. on with their treatment and so forth. But it ought not be mandated and there's yeah. no reason for it to be. Hey guys, and, and um, if, you get into the, if you get into the metric system, you also help, you, you also impede on some of the intentions of the act, like the affirmative defense, and uh you know maybe privacy growing more causes. yeah privacy sure. there's there's uh right. you know it's too much of an impingement I, and, right. and, I, and i'm sorry to interrupt you go ahead no that's okay i was just gonna say we, we're gonna have to wrap up here we got some hard outs at three you know we could talk about this all day 
and uh, I'm sure we will. Uh, we need to keep talking about it, I guess is the point, and we need to keep fighting. If you're out there and listening and you're a licensed facility and you agree with what we have going on here, please um, please stay you know, diligent and help out our caregiver brothers and sisters. And brothers and sisters, you need to stop drawing these lines, the hard lines in the sand with licensed facilities because we have your back. Uh, and the ones that want to help are here, but we have to, you have to stay diligent because the, they're, they're going to, they're not going to stop, right? So, uh, Jamie, Rick, you guys have always been awesome, you know, in the community. Keep, you know, keep, keep us informed because I, I, I pay attention to what you guys are saying all the time. It's hard for me to stay plugged in with all the stuff I have going on. And, uh, again, um, I'd just like to end with some final words for our audience uh, before we wrap it up. Well, who was that guy that was on earlier? I can't remember. What was, oh, Ryan. Ryan. Oh, so so yeah. Yeah. oh he's, yeah. yeah. No, Ryan is, is one of those guys that you can rally around. When we talk oh. about this, uh, it's not that the community is looking to find villains. We love our heroes. Ryan's one of them. Anquinette Sarfall, she's another. John Sinclair. We love our heroes, and it's time to create heroes instead of looking for villains. And I really hope that yeah. our community is able to do that. I agree. Hey, really appreciate being here. We're talking about this a, a, a lot and a lot of uh, a great broadcast. Michigan's lucky to have a lot of cannabis-based uh, informational uh, broadcasts. And Rick and I, are, I think, are going to hit just about all of them during the course of this week. And we're going to end up on WJR with Darren McCarty, 7 o'clock Friday night. So please look out for that. And just in addition, I want to say I, I really do appreciate the philosophy and approach of Real Leaf Solutions. You and Chris have a great organization there, and it's a demonstration of how an industry participant could still be, you know, so responsible and philosophically sound in, in understanding of the culture and nature of the plant. It's the only way we can be, man. And it's we just got to keep it up. So, well, thanks. You guys take care. Thank Tom, you. thank you. Thank you. Yes. The Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at ryanb at redemptioncanna.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.